You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. Today I am joined by a Blog to Watch art director and Toronto based designer, Matt Smith Johnson. Hey, Matt. Hello. Matt, our adventure goes back quite a number of years now. I was actually thinking about this before we got started. How many years have we been working together? Uh, you know, I think it was, I want to say 2013. Uh, at least we were talking in 2013. It was still, I think you were still going under a blog to read. And you had just. Okay, so that would have been pre. That would have been, so that have been 2011, 2012. It's been a decade, dude. Almost a decade. It's been almost a decade. Yeah. I remember because you just switched over from a blog to read to a blog to watch. And yeah. I was making, uh, I was making straps uh, under Teenage Grandpa, which is an alias I still use today, but I was making straps under that name at the time. It's funny, when we were younger back then, that seemed a lot more humorous. Now that we're getting older, it's like, I don't want Grandpa in my name. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't know. I still feel all right with it. I still feel, you know, I'm, I, I like I like to have tea before bed. I do a lot of grandpa stuff, so. <laughs> but that's probably because you're Canadian. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's part of it for sure. Yeah, no, and and uh, you know, my parents, I mean, my, my mom's family for sure, like British, and yeah, like had tea every day, and like you know those like stodgy, you know, those digestive bis- biscuits and <laughs> stuff like that. So, <laughs> You know, black licorice, all, all those things. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> you got to get your kicks somewhere, which is watches, right? You can't have candy, but you can have a colorful timepiece. That is correct. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, You know, so I think what's interesting is that when you and I came together, we we had a lot more in common than we knew, you know, from musical taste to just overall you know, other things, but it was watches that brought us together. And I find that so often, I'm sure you feel the same way that when you meet people that like watches, you recognize that all of a sudden you have a bunch of other interests. It's not with everyone that likes watches, but it's sort of amazing all the things you need to be into the prerequisites, if you will, to becoming a, a, a like a watch hobbyist. That's a real thing, right? Uh, like having prerequisites to become a like you like you need to be cultured you need to have a certain set of hobbies and sort of nerdery like in your younger life and and only then can you sort of ascend to being into watches you know what i mean like it takes a certain level of cultural maturity and experience yeah i don't know if i, I guess when you said the word like <laughs> maturity i'm like well <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that's the teenage part of my 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 personality that still still uh, exists but yeah i, I think uh yeah, you know, I don't know. I've, I've, different people get into watches through different avenues, right? And I think I think we both came into it from a slightly different, like, you know, like I know we've discussed like your kind of love of like gadgets and how things work and, and technology. And I came a bit more at it from like art school and design and typography and, you know, but yeah, like there is, not everyone makes it this far into the like, I don't know. I don't know if it's like a, <laughs> if it's a, prestigious thing to be a watch nerd or it's more of a like an addiction but uh it takes not everyone makes it this deep okay so when you and i started it was definitely an addiction now there's this i don't even know what to say this portion of people that see it as a as a lifestyle as a a prestigious thing and there's like watch hobbyist posers 
which again, when we started, got started, it was hilarious. It's like, if you weren't really into watches, why would you pretend? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think, I think even what, um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I've got a personality where I can either do something 110% or I can't do it at all. Like I can't, I can't do something 50% of the way <laughs> or half asset. And I feel like, yeah, you know, like I, I've, uh, you know, they're, they're, that, not even that's changed like the idea of like a, I don't know, I don't know if say poser, but I think there are some people that are into watches that, that just, you know, they want to say like, hey, I've got this expensive thing. You should be impressed. Look at that. But they don't appreciate it on the same level that right. you or I do, you know, like the story behind it and why is it this way? And, you know, like the reason why you or I, you know, either of us is going to go out and be attracted to and maybe acquire a timepiece is going to be very, very different from, you know, like a Bay Street banker, I guess, Wall Street bank, whatever, you know, like a financial guy who just wants to, you know, <laughs> show well, I'm going to put, I'm gonna put in the car terms because I think that a lot of people understand that more. Here in Southern California, I grew up, uh, occasionally they had these things called like classic car nights or just car nights where there'd be a restaurant or some venue. It's pretty casual. People would go and just sort of bring their cars. Sometimes it was an official event. Sometimes people would just bring their collector's cars. And there were certain types of people that would come out there and they wouldn't have like sort of a rare kind of like cult car. They would just be like, hey, here's my brand new Ferrari. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it didn't, it, it didn't take a lot of effort to learn Ferrari is a big deal. And it didn't even matter what Ferrari, as long as it's sort of shiny and relatively new and a Ferrari, people would walk around and be like, oh, hey, cool. And that person who who brought that car felt important and special, like they were getting this appreciation of this demographic. And that is, again, sort of a poser because it's not like really that you like cars. It's that you know a popular car, you can afford it, and then you want the sort of fawning admiration of people to be like, oh, I'm so jealous you have that. Then on the other hand, you have the people that don't care about inspiring this emotion of jealousy and literally say, there's only a few other people that even know how to talk about this item. I want to find that group so we can have sort of this very nerdy chat. It's less about impressing you and more about the fact that I don't really have anyone else within my family to talk to about this thing. You know, it, you agree. It's very similar to watches, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And and it's and, you know, to, to add to that analogy, like, you know, it's like what impresses me. It's like, you know, and and. and you know, someone can go out buy the latest sports car and, you know, cut me off in traffic. And I guess they think they're impressing me, but they're not, you know, I, I'm not jealous. I don't, none of that inspires envy in me. But sometimes, you know, I'll be filling up, you know, go to fill up my car at the gas station. And then, you know, some like, you know, 1989 Chrysler it's not a like an admirable car, but like most of those things just turned into the, they're just dust now. Like they rusted into nothingness. <laughs> and like this is this is actually something I saw. Those, those weird boxy ones. Yes, the weird box was. I saw a guy at the at the gas station. It was last year, and he pulled in, and it was an older gentleman. You no, know, I'd say he's in his late seventies, early eighties, and he's filling up his car, and the thing was spotless. Like there was no rust on it. And I'm in Canada, where it's like snow, slush, and salt more yeah, than half yeah. the year. So like. Those cars did not make it, <laughs> but this guy had one and that was impressive to me. I was like, well, how did you keep that? You know, it's a car. I don't want that car, but when it was in that condition and he clearly took care of it and, and pride in it, I thought, you know, there's probably a story behind that car, why he likes it so much. And that is like, you know, it's like, you know, I might know someone who's like a pro actual professional diver and I do. And, and, you know, to me, 
you know, he's got the, you know, the Tunican Seiko, he's got an Omega Seamaster, and his watches just feel a little cooler than mine, because he's like a cool professional diver, and there's a story behind his pieces, and there's a reason why he chose them. So I think, yeah, like, I think about that guy in the Chrysler, and like, yeah, I'm really impressed by that. I mean, it's not an impressive car, but that's not why I would like it, right? Like, it doesn't have to be the most... It's like he had passion for something, and you could wreck... Like, or he seemed to have passion for something by keeping this old car relatively new looking and you could admire that because he likes stuff kind of the way that you like stuff so you're like oh do we have other shit in common and maybe you do maybe you don't precisely that is exactly it right you got it on the nose yes um and again with watches i think that it's interesting because there is this distinct pretension that can develop amongst aficionados like you and me where we actually want to turn away from talking about the mainstream stuff right like we only want to talk about weird stuff because it's almost sort of a vetting process to make sure like, are you really a watch hobbyist? Are you cool? really a watch yeah. guy? <laughs> yeah, you got to know this obscure stuff. If you only know the basic stuff, you know, you've just been to a couple of mall stores. I need you to know the really weird obscure. Prove to me that you've dedicated time and effort to learning about watches alone in your room at night. You know, like it's almost like we have to say, like, have you been through the same, you know, like educational battles we have? Because learning about this stuff isn't easy, right? No, no, it's 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 not. I mean, it, it kind of happens by accident if you're passionate about it, right? Like I, I didn't set out to like learn, but you just kind of do it by accident, right? Because you're so into it and all the details. And, you know, yeah, and like that analogy too, like, you know, are you cool? Like, you know, as you know, like I used to be a musician for a number of years and uh, heavy metal bands um, and other musicians. Like I remember one of the like, kind of like gateway questions to like the like real metal head bands we play with sometimes. They're like, hey man, what's your favorite Metallica album? And if you say the Black Album, they'll just be like, oh, whatever, that one was mainstream, who cares? But if you say Master of Puppets, then they go, ooh, <laughs> all right, let's keep talking, let's keep talking. So I feel like, you know, that, I don't know, that, that, that analogy probably lost some people. but <laughs> No, I, you know, I, I understood that. And I like the Black Album, and I like Master of Puppets, and I like Ride the Lightning and all that stuff. So I, I, I hear you. But it's sort of like that with like Omega, right? Like Because Omega has its Black Albums, and it also has its... Uh, you know, it's Ride the Lightning, the Master of Puppets. Yep. It definitely has that. Yes, it does. Yes, it does, for sure. And uh, yeah, you want to, you want to like, you know, and also, I, I don't know. I mean, some people, like, it, I, I'm not, you know, I want to just start by, before I say this, like, I don't, if people want, really want to get into the minute details of a watch and that's what makes or breaks something for them, then cool, that's how you appreciate it. I don't care. That's that's fine by me. But for me, you know, I mean, you know, when we get to like the real nitty gritty of like, is there a dot over the 90 or is it next to the 90? And we get into like all these little bits so much like, you know, I, I mean, I can talk about that and reference numbers and I, I, I know about some of those things, but it, it doesn't excite me to the same degree as if someone goes like, hey, have you ever seen, you know, like uh, I, yesterday I was on a, a brief call with another collector and he showed me this, this vintage compressor watch from a company called exacta and had a cool logo like this really angular the type <laughs> was really cool he, he totally knew what i was like you know oh yeah matt wants to see this so he found like the old ad and he had the watch and it just kind of looks like a compressor it's got like a weird like lollipop hour hand instead of a second hand the second hand almost looked like the second hand on a speedmaster even though i was just mentioning it. and then i had like a gmt hand for the minute hand it was it had some peculiar details and he just knew like yeah, Matt wants to see this and the logo. And, you know, that, I don't know, to me, like that, that's cool. Like I've never seen that, you know, he, someone, another fellow enthusiast found something unique and, you know, and there's details on a watch maybe to me, like 
I do care about type. I do care about what the brand's logo looks like because it's on the dial. Like if it's ugly, I gotta look at it all the time. Like it'll bum me out. So um, definitely. Yeah. Let, let's yeah. Let's let's back up here because I'm I try to sort of bring larger conclusions based upon these you know nuanced discussions. And the first thing is, and this is an ongoing theme of the entire superlative show, is that there's a lot of different ways. Um, for someone to find themselves as being a watch enthusiast. There's no one route. It's not like, well, I went to engineering school and then I, I learned to love timekeeping tools. Like, no, it's it's that's one way. And there are people that are engineers that love watches. There's an awful lot of them. But there's also people that have, you know, never used their hands in their life. Or there's people like Matt who are designers or mostly, you know, it, come from an aesthetic background. And one of the things I like to sort of prove to people um, is that they like watches primarily because of how they look. And yeah, the story and the engineering and the functionality is all really important. But at the end of the day, like you said, it's a visual experience. You are supposed to look at that thing on your wrist and develop a smile on your face. If that isn't happening, something is wrong in your watch appreciation. If you're looking at it and you feel nothing, you feel insecure, or you're like, ah, oh, I wish this, this number looked this way or that way, you're doing something wrong. And the, the sort of the, the end game of being a watch enthusiast is like you said, to wear something which makes you happy. Now you have different moods and there's different activities you're doing. So you can't just have one watch, right? It's sort of like shoes. You can never have one pair of shoes that you could, you know, go to the office and go to a wedding and go out to dinner and go running. You, you, you need to have different ones, but unlike shoes, That's a and I guess life, some, one, one pair of shoes. That's really I know, sad. right? <laughs> the variety that you can have from your clothing uh, and your accessories, which includes your watch is, um, is sort of this first world privilege that we hold on to because we recognize that a limited life is a boring life. And for guys like you and me, a boring wife, life isn't really worth living, right? Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't want to be bored. I don't like being bored. I, I have a very, I got to be doing stuff. I like being occupied. I, I don't like, I, I don't like boredom. Um, I remember one time I was out with dinner with a group of people and and I, I always wear like colorful or patterned socks some more colorful than others and this guy sitting there and it was, I think it was for like a wedding party or like a pre-party you know when you get together with all the people who are going to be involved in some way I, I I don't even remember but anyways we're sitting there and I got colorful socks on and this one guy at the table said to me he said you know oh you got colorful patterned socks how many pairs I said all of them I just you know why are you gonna wear socks why not wear fun ones he goes oh I think that it's such a waste of time I think men should only ever wear black socks or gray socks it's just so silly and it, oh and then I see people with these all these pocket <laughs> squares and da, da, da. And, and when I used to wear a suit I always had like a pocket square and a tie pin like I want to you know I'm gonna wear a suit as I said I can either do zero percent or a hundred percent so if I'm gonna wear a suit I'm gonna look dandy god damn it i'm not gonna oh, i, I got to mention this here because i think this is so important and this goes into watches as well because you have those those individuals that just want to own like three or four classic watches they don't even want to think about it they all have like you know basically black dials or something like that and they're fine but they're not like exciting watches and so i think what's happening in that situation with the individual i'd love to hear your opinion on this is that he was like intimidated by the idea of like oh now i have to wrap my mind around styling socks like for a lot of guys maybe less so women, but I don't know, like wrapping your mind around the fact that I need to be a master of like t-shirts or a certain type of article of clothing is, is intimidating because it means time and effort. And it's so much easier to be like, you know what, the world has black and gray socks and that's it. And if you limit yourself, it's almost like this de-stressor because once you sort of get into this world of knowing all the options, it can become overwhelming. And you're like, oh, crap, now my life is, is, is spent, you know, looking online for the right shade of sock. Yeah, I guess like, 
it, and part of it too, though, with that exchange, it was weird to me. Is like it's not like I was looking at his gray socks and be like, "You only wear gray socks? Ah, oh, you can't. You got to get sock game going." Like I'd never do that, but I just found like, and I even said to him as my reply because it's very odd to like you know get so <laughs> uncomfortable about another gentleman's socks. And I just said like, you know, you don't your girlfriend must think you're really fun, dude. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, why not? Ha- like I said, I just like them. They make, they bring me joy. I don't think about it. I just go, Oh, look, there's alligators on these. Cause you were forcing him out of his comfort zone. I, That's what you're doing. I guess. Like, he was like, I thought we were at a, at a watch dinner. Now I have to worry about my socks. Oh man, this is, this is hard work. Maybe, yeah. I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's funny. And like, you know, as I said, like if you really want to just have three classic watches, like knock yourself out. I think it's like, you know, I think I, I sometimes talk to people and collectors and they, they limit themselves. They feel like there's a certain thing they have to conform to in a way, right? And I think like, you know, like they have to conform, well, a classic watch and, and I'm a professional, maybe they think. And so I can only have so many things. And of course, how you dress, you know, is going to influence what kind of, you know, if you're wearing a suit every day. I'm going to be radical here, man. I think that th- this is a function of people who are not comfortable examining their own feelings. Just hear me out. Okay, okay. okay. The idea is that when you when you choose things in your life, clothing, watches, music, whatever, you choose the things that give you good feelings, which requires you to examine your feelings. Like, am I happy listening to this music? Do I like the way I look in this outfit? You have to look at yourself, examine your feelings. It's an exposing thing. It creates vulnerability. And a lot of guys are sort of really emotionally kept up that they don't want to ever have those feelings. They're just like, I don't want anyone to look at my watch and think it's the wrong thing. And I want to have the appropriate watch. So like, I want to look, you know, presentable and cultured and mature, but I'm afraid of doing it too much where I, my feelings are involved. It, could that part be part of it where it's just sort of like, you know, you and I are more comfortable with our feelings and some people just, again, it could be men or women and just aren't. And that limits the type of expression that they 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 choose to convey as a function of their clothing and watches. Yeah, I think that I think that's part of it. Yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, that people you know, people limit their feelings and they don't want to see certain things or be like you know, it requires a certain amount of you know vulnerability in anything in life. If you decide to, sorry, my dog likes to uh, bark periodically and I, at nobody. It's uh, apparently what those animals do. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's. You know, yeah, there's, there's, I saw that maybe lose my train of thought there for a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think, I think it's about vulnerability a little bit too, right? Like if you're going to express yourself, you, you are opening yourself up for criticism, you know, like me wearing colorful, whatever socks I was, you know, that guy's going, oh, you're wearing colorful socks. What are you? Some dandy boy. And yeah, maybe a little bit. I don't care. Like, you know, like I'm going to wear a suit. I want to, <laughs> I want to do it all the way to the end. I want a pocket square. I want to be. You know, I want to, like, I, I remember when I used to wear suits, I had like, you know, I had, you know, pink sport jackets that I'd wear, you know, I, and I had, I had subdued stuff too. You know, I knew how to, you know, read the room going into certain meetings and whatnot, but you know, I was like, I'm okay with being me. Right. And I think there is a certain comfort level with some people that maybe, yeah, maybe a little bit afraid to express what they really want. You know, they want a pink G-Shock, Ariel, and they don't, they don't. They're worried that the buddies are going to go off. How did you know I was just thinking about my pink G-Shock? How did you know? I was literally just thinking about my pink G-Shock. You got a, How did you know that? You got a pink G-Shock? That's amazing. I have a pink G-Shock. Which one? Um, it's the the old version of the Range Man. I guess they still meant the, the, 90, the G, GMW 9400, the GW 9400. Um, yeah. It's it's kind of pinkish purple. I don't. For me, it looks pink. And I had to, I picked it up in Japan. 
I've had that exact same watch in other colors. And they made this, you know, you know, Japan only, as is always the case with a lot of those watches. It was only sold there. It happened to be in Japan. I found I found a used one. It was actually, you know, not terribly cheap. Um, but I re- I want I just wanted this 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 pink, this otherwise very masculine pink watch. And the way that I try to convey con- convey it to people, if you haven't seen this, imagine like a very masculine pickup truck that has all of its right angles and it's lifted up and it's just you know it's a masculine vehicle. But it happens to be in pink. And, and the theory I was going for is it's still a masculine object despite the color, but it's a little bit flashier and gets more attention. And there's sort of this interesting combination of emotions you're expressing because it's a tool. It is inherently very masculine. It's a big watch, but it's a color that's normally associated with femininity. And I just thought it was sort of interesting. And, you know, I always used to have this sort of this experiment where I was curious about which watch colors would get the most attention. And it's true that the brighter the color of the watch, your reds and your yellows and your pinks and things like that get more attention than your your whites and your blacks and your grays and your blues and, and things like that. So, um, but that's the exact type of thing. When I wore it in Japan, no one cares. No one would be like, that's a girl's watch. You bring that to the US, United States and people might say some things. And I, I almost welcome those comments, but you're right. There's some, especially guys, who would just hate the idea of someone looking at their watch and then suddenly start questioning their sexuality, you know, like this typical kind of, you know, male insecurity about it. And do you remember about a decade ago, you could talk about a white watch on a blotchy watch, like just a white color, like a white ceramic watch. And people would just immediately say, that's a girl's watch, da, 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 because of the Chanel J12 that made that popular. Now, there's no question that a white watch, it could, could easily be masculine. And it took a couple of years, but you agree that we made a big shift from white watches are for women to white watches are, of course, are for men or women. There's no question about it. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And uh, yeah, I think I think I have noticed that evolution into things opening up. And, uh, you know, th- there were some some designs that were um, put out uh, in the early 2000s. I remember when, um, when uh, I remember like you know, Zenith went really kind of chunky and like over, like they were, you know, everything looked like turbines on it. And, it, you know, like almost like a Michael Bay transformer. What's up just, with the turbine? It's like the weirdest design element you find anywhere. Like who's like, I see more turbines on my wrist. Yeah, anyways, go on. I'm just, this I've, is the funniest design element. It was a weird, like they were, to me, they were kind of straight. Like they were interesting at the time. They were for me, but they, yeah, and they had like Is that, this the, the, the Terry Natoff era? Is that what we're yeah, talking that's about? Like, yeah, yeah, And they had like- this the, is a dark era in the history. I know, show. but they, they just- Oh, sorry, Zenith. They, 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 I'm so I, 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 you know, one of my favorite watches, I'll say before I continue this, I'll say one of my favorite watches to come out in the last very long while was the Philippe Pantone Zenith, uh, the chronograph. Yeah. I love that thing. And, and so it's so cool. But I just, yeah, that, that era was not that we were talking about previously. It was just not, it was just, it, try, it looked like it was trying so hard to be like manly and like, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Like it just, it's almost like a, it's like if you're 40 and you still think that like He-Man represents like what, like a good cartoon character should be. That was the watch for you. Yeah. Yeah. Although if you want to get a haircut exactly like He-Man with those bangs and you can pull that off. <laughs> That's a pretty metal haircut, isn't it? I don't, is it? I don't know. That's a, it'd be a strange haircut. I've, he had long hair, right? He had long hair, but he had, kind of had like bangs too. Like it was like, you know, he had those like straight bangs. Like I assume. Yeah, but those from the 80s and it was inspired by like like other fantasy characters and, <laughs> and, and you know, metal hair, yeah. which, you know, it was a lot of hairspray, but there was bangs going I on. I guess there were, but yeah, you know what? I remember I'm thinking of a, a couple of Iron Maiden videos now where, where um, I think it's the Wasted Years and it has all the clips of, of different 
tours. I think in some of them, Bruce Dickinson's got some pretty, <laughs> some pretty bangy bangs, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, go back a little bit. You'll see the bang was alive and well for man back for men back. Yeah, then. these days right. I'm not so sure. You're right, but if not, but if you can bring it back today, I mean, by all means, please do. I, I today I the hair's got to like sweep over your face, like it's like a mop that kind of fell on you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, so going back to watches, you know, one of the things that, that people need to know is that you are responsible for uh, various versions of the blog to watch website design, a lot of the graphics, and we've even we've even designed um, some watches together. One thing I'd like you to talk about is where do you go for inspiration to say what should a, a, a watch publication today's personality be like? Because this is sort of an interesting topic that we've discussed over the years. And that is, it's not just a matter of what a blog to watch publishes, but it's what a blog to watch is like to use and, and how it's like to use. And of course, we're very, very limited by things like Google that really wants pages to load very quickly and be very lean and mobile causes this issue. But, you know, what what is how do you sort of figure out the look and feel of, you know, a shrine to appreciate watches these days? I mean, yeah, the look and feel. I mean, well, yeah, we, we did. Uh, I did the version of the site that's on now. Uh, unless you've changed it overnight and I haven't seen it, but, uh, <laughs> no, it's still the same one. Okay, still still the same the one. Same one. Yeah. So when we were working on that and, and, you know, and, and, and we had all that, you know, we had a lot of good backend data and, and, you know, we could see how people were using the site. So for the version now, like we went with, you know, we just wanted to go with something that first speed was, was, was key. Right. And, and we wanted to make sure that, you know, images were, were large, they loaded quickly, but you still get a nice big image. You get, you know, we want to put as little bar barrier between you and the content, the user and the content as possible. That was that was one of our goals from a functional standpoint. And then from the personality, you know, uh, we used um, uh, ITC Lubelin as the the main uh, like headline typeface, and it's just got this kind of like structured look to it. I know that the the magazine, I think Black Book, used to use that as their their uh, like masthead logo, and it just has this nice structured kind of, you know. A blog to watch skews a bit more towards, you know, uh, male audience. Uh, although there are, you know, obviously lots of female watch enthusiasts as well. But yeah, we just wanted to go into something that had that strong feeling, right? Like just had that a little bit more on the masculine side. So, you know, selecting the typefaces. And yeah, and I remember like way back even before that, like, you know, talking about when we, when I, we first started talking. And it was just, you know, the idea of like, you know, think of... I always try to think of any anything I approach as, as as a person. Like, what is their personality? You know, um, is this person? You know, if you want to be an authority on something, um, are you going to be? You know, there's different ways you can portray yourself as an authority on any subject, right? Are you just an authority that's very learned and you have a lot of information? I think that's more where a blog to watch falls in. You know, it's it's kind of like a little more tactical, a little more, you know, on the nerdier side, uh, by virtue of <laughs> the people involved, but it, which is not a bad thing in a space. It's a, like a super nerdy topic. Don't you want nerds to help guide you through something which is really nerdy? Yeah. That's, that's what I would want. Right. So some people don't like some people like, and, and you can see this, especially on like YouTube and like certain, some people try to like, you know, to try and be an authority by force, you know, tell you, you know, tell you your, you know, there's, there's a lot of these like... An authority by force? What does that like? That sounds... Yeah. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, I know, that's what I would say. Like there's personalities out like there. Like listen to me or die? Uh, actually, sort of a little bit. Like you can see there's people... Convert that, or die. Like some of these like kind of like I'll say toxic self-help, 
you know, they usually have like a YouTube channel, an Instagram influencer, and you can like, you know, sign up for sessions and they'll help get you wealthy and they'll tell you how big a loser you are. And, and they're doing it through like, they're trying to be an authority through kind of like intimidation and making you feel little, um, you know, there's subtle ways that like you can be an authority because you look prestigious, right? Like you can be, but that's a- not even authority. That's, that's, I, again, I'm just trying to play psychology here. That's creating insecurity. And the idea is the person who's making the other person secure holds the cards. That doesn't mean you're authority. I think that just means that you are able to make one person secure and you hold the power in that dynamic. That's right. Yeah, you're creating a power dynamic. You're right. But just to, to portray yourself, I'm just trying to think of like how I've seen other I'm people. I'm just saying it's manipulation themselves. more than, oh, more than yeah. the fact that there's all these, you know, gurus out there that can help you. No, but just from a, a, a strictly like, you know, what is it, you know, what is it you want to sell, right? And then someone would come like, you know, what other, other design projects I've done over the years, you know, like, you know, people come to me with like a soda. And I go, how do you want a, your soda to be perceived, right? And someone will be like, I want to be the most extreme soda in the world. Or some people want to say, I want to be the healthiest soda in the world. And it's how you portray that. I mean, I'm going to design something, a logo, a package or whatever around that soda that's going to manipulate you into feeling like, oh, yeah, this does look kind of healthy. I'll give it a try. Or, yeah, this does look totally extreme, like <laughs> whatever it is, right? And, I, and there are definitely different flavors of watch appreciation. Uh, looking back to the question, is just like, yeah, there's there's different kinds of authority there's people there's sites that we know that are authorities on very like you know like narrower topics but you know for that maybe you go there right and uh yeah we just want to make a blog to watch just more of like you know i remember if i remember correctly i think you and i had a discussion and we were talking about you know it's the guy who in your face like if, if if a blog to watch was a person, I think oh, I had a thing that I wrote out, maybe even put it in a present. Oh, I remember this discussion. Yeah. And if it was a person like, you know, you'd want it to be, you know, the enthusiast, like just say you have like an, an older uncle and you're, you know, 20 and you go, Hey, I'm starting to get into watches. You got a pretty cool watch. You go, Oh yeah. And you know, might take off whatever he's got on. Maybe he's got a tag Hoyer Monaco or something. I don't know. Some, watch and you go that's neat and you'll let you try it on here take a look at that maybe it's a stranger and you just you're at a restaurant and you go oh it's like watches here check this out you take it right off his wrist and hand it to you and let you see oh yes hit that button to start the chronograph that one stuff that one's reset isn't it cool yeah and you wind it oh it's great and then there's some people that just be like yeah this watch is pretty cool huh yeah we're not that guy we're the guy who wants you to you know and maybe if it's a relative like your uncle maybe you know he looks in his watch box and goes oh i don't really wear I don't wear, really wear this well, Tiso anymore. You know, I'll give that to my nephew. You know, we wanted to be that kind of encouraging. That was the personality we wanted to yeah. put forward. Was just like and you and you and I have both done that. I'm sure where we've just basically given a watch from our collection to someone that seems to want it more than us because we feel bad that no one's wearing it. Yeah, yeah, or, or yeah. Sometimes someone appreciates something more than you will, right? And you're just like, I just had this sitting here. <laughs> you know, you you may as well own it, right? Like. You know, we all end up with with things like that after a certain amount of time in the watch box and just go, oh, so I've, I didn't really have a connection with this, right? And then someone says, that's awesome. And yeah, I've certainly given watches to, to friends and family. Yeah. I think this point is really important to make because the, the watch media marketplace as it is right now, I don't really know the right words to describe it. There's there's not a lot of people who just want to teach you about watches and want you to enjoy the hobby with them. There's a lot of people that want you to listen to what they say. Um, again, it's a very powerful idea where someone in their mind says, I'm an influencer. If I tell my audience to buy something, oh, they're going to buy it and I'm going to have power with advertisers. That is a goal 
of many people in the media space, watches or otherwise de- these days because they're see- they see, quote unquote, an influencer as being like a job where, you know, I call influencers opinion mercenaries, um, which I think implies that there's sort of a, a questionable moral element to it, as well as this notion that, you know, your endorsement is up for sale. That's not what we are. We are a place that you have to impress us first, right? If Matt isn't impressed, if Ariel's not impressed, if others on the blog to watch team are not impressed, that's not going to come out in our in our editorial. We're going to be like, well, here's what it is. And if something is impressive, we're going to be like, I really like it and here's why. There's enough watches out there that do impress us that I think that there's plenty to talk about. But there are a lot of media people that that's that all takes too long for them. That's too iffy. They're just like, who has something to sell and might be able to pay me to help them sell it, which is a, a vastly different philosophy. And these days, because there's not that much money in media, you mostly have new entrants in the watch media space that come from with come with a manipulative, you know, business plan, if you will. And so it's challenging for guys like you and me to go out there and warn everyone. If you're just getting into watches now, please watch out for these people and how to do that without just sort of like, you know, you know, graceless self-aggrandization. I'm not sure how to do that other than having these types of conversations. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, yeah, the influencer. (laughs) I actually I had a, a funny story of someone who I know that was building pretty good following and uh and they told they were very honest and they said you know i had this watch brand reach out to me and i i looked at their posts and i didn't i didn't like their stuff and and then uh you know they kind of said well you know do you want to look at our watch and he said no thank you and then they said well we'll give you one and we'll pay you x amount per month and then you know he said that came in two different messages. And when they started talking about sending him free stuff, he was like, Ooh, and he considered it. And then he caught himself doing that. And he, he kind of shut the whole thing down after, actually. Cause he was like, man, he's like, I just don't have the constitution. I was willing to sell out, you know, really quickly. And he's like, you know, just the, you know, the offer of a free thing. So yeah, you know, you gotta be careful out there, especially on, on, you know, like Instagram. And and that, and that's what I think a lot of the public doesn't understand. It's, it's not necessarily that the media people start out with this nefarious idea. It's that it's really the only vehicle for any of them to make money. Yeah. They, they try to have a legitimate business where they just want to say, Hey, I want to give my honest opinion, but nobody wants to help support their honest opinion. All anybody ever wants to do is pay them to push their message. And so if you're trying to make money in this space, the first four or five offers you get are going to be an advertiser literally like compelling you to do something immoral, right? Yeah, no, exactly. And, um, you know, I, before Blocked Watch, I was working with, um, well, for years I'd worked with, with uh, Vice Media before. Um, but yeah, I see like even like that's a huge, huge media company with like, you know, at the time they were growing like crazy and, you know, they're they're kind of, you know, I don't think they're in the same, they're not in the same spot anymore. But at that time, that was when they were really hot. Yeah, Vice was a big deal. They were a big deal. And they, and even, even them, it's very hard. Like, you know, banner ad clicks don't make huge bucks. And I read comments a lot where like on, you know, multiple sites, people go, oh, you must have been paid off to say this and da, da, da. Or you're just like, like through, running a media company is very, it's a very tight ship. there's not this huge bags of money in it that some people perceive it to be. And like, even, you know, working at as a giant media company, I saw, you know, I was, you know, eventually I was creative director of the, this 
certain department there that did, you know, marketing with their, with their, with their advertising partners. And it's, it's very hard. And without that departments like that, like they wouldn't be bringing in, you know, my job is basically like if they sold advertising space to, you know, some beer company, then we'd try to come up with a campaign, for example, that would match our demographic. So it was a, you know, but that part that them hiring us as an agency was the part that made the money, not the banner ad. The banner ad <laughs> didn't do enough, right? It's it's very tricky, and you know, and I, and I like, you know, I have some forgiveness because I know how tough it is, and and I can see that people, you know, need to keep the lights on and make a living. And hey, but you know, yeah, you do have to be, you know, buyer beware out there when you're consuming this media to see, like, well, you know, why why is someone covering this so heavily? Well, I'll finish the topic just by saying that media tends, everyone that begins in media tends to start from a noble noble perspective. They want to do, quote unquote, the right thing. It's the economic model which supports media right now, which presents them with the devil's offer, so to say, very, very, very early on. And I have, on a regular basis, Instagram accounts or little YouTubers or things like that that you know, grew up with a blog to watch media and, and, and had this idea to do on their own. And very quickly, they're coming to me saying, brands don't really want to do deals. I find it really difficult to make money. All they want me to do is like shill stuff I don't care about. What do I do? And I have to tell everyone, you didn't do anything wrong. Like that's the space. Like, I don't know what it looked like from the outside. You know, maybe it appears like you said, like, you know, there's just, you know, bags of money lying around and it's all, it's not, you know, to be a critic and to, curate a selection of stuff throughout history has always been antagonistic to the people that you're talking about. Even though you're supporting some people, the people that you're pushing are never going to care enough. And it's the people that you're not pushing that want you to be pushing them to the, the economic models support media these days is fragile and wonky because in reality, it needs to be the consumer that pays for it. We're not quite there yet because people still expect a lot of the stuff for free or a lot of it is available for free. So it becomes problematic, but it's a transitional time for media. And it's so ironic because there's so much availability. Everyone today that has even the most basic device can reach all kinds of media Yet people don't necessarily want to support it. And it's very difficult to sift through everything to see what is qualitative media, what is junky media. Like to be a normal consumer, even if it's just a sort of narrow spectrum that is the watch space, it can be so difficult to decide, you know, within within even a few weeks, who could I trust and who could I not? Like sometimes it takes people years to figure out like who's worth listening to. Um, and it's easy for you and I because we we sort of come at it from the inside perspective, but do you sympathize a little bit with the consumer coming in right now that they're not really sure who to listen to? Yeah, I do. I do. It's, it's, it's tricky. Right. And, and, um, yeah, I, I really do sympathize. It's, it's a very different, like, I mean, honestly, it's, it's such a weird, you know, I was thinking the other day, like I remember the first time I saw someone with, with an iPhone on the train and also they were carrying all their other belongings and just like this like tattered plastic shopping bags with the time i was like get your priorities straight man like (laughs) get a nice bag you don't need that iphone but it's funny like i remember seeing that and just how much that device like everyone has a a like you know you've got a you can shoot video you can record audio you take photos you can post from there like everyone has this tool to make, you know, and, and I feel like, yeah, if you're a consumer coming in, and even if you're trying to look for like someone to model yourself after or someone to like not model yourself after, but someone to look up to in terms of like, you say fashion, you're like, oh, I want to try dressing a certain way, you know, like I've seen this new stuff. And you're looking up influencers, you're like, oh, this, you know, this person, yeah, dresses in this 
certain way that I'm looking for. And they always say that this brand's great. You might buy the clothes and find that they fall apart. They're not very good, but they're being being paid, right? It'd be, it'd be tricky to know what is genuine and what's not. And, and I think going back to, you know, because there's so many people trying to also be, you know, influencers that it's like, you know, if you're not gonna, if, if one person decides like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shill your crummy, you know, garb, then there's someone else out there waiting in line who will. And, you know, like that very much reminds again, like of, of the music industry, when I was trying to be in a band, like, you know, I remember we play, a, you know, agree to play a gig for a certain amount and then show up and they'd say, Oh, yeah, it's going to be like half that we're going <laughs> to give you. And if you don't decide to play, we'll just get another band to come do it. You know, and, and yeah, you, because the, the the measure today of anything that involves taste is not how good is your music, your watch, your clothing. The measure is how popular is it, and you have to create popularity yourself. And you can do it the honest, long way, or you can you know hustle up some popularity by paying the right people. And it's it's weird that you know that's part of the the consumer economy today. But I have faith actually because I think that the the younger people who are just getting into a lot of this stuff. They grew up in this atmosphere. Yeah. They can they know that most people who are influencers are opinion mercenaries. They they understand that you can't really trust any people. And there's a lot of people sort of between their generation and our generation that were confused. They didn't really understand that. But I really yeah. think that that the cons- consumer's intelligence and ability to sort through this stuff is starting to win. And that's why, you know, a blog to watch has continued for you know 2022. It's gonna be 15 years now continue to sort of remain at the top because we haven't sacrificed it and say, you know what, screw it. We'll just take their money and we'll tell everyone it's a great watch. Because once you do that, you know, anyone who has an independent mind, which is a lot of the blog to watch audience is like, why are you guys so hot on something which is clearly not so hot? And you want, because you can't get rid of that part of the equation, we almost have to self, um, self monitor ourselves all the time because the audience blowback blowback will be real, and why would why would we want to risk that? Why, you know, it's like some some watch that we don't care about is never going to be worth our relationship with the audience. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, you know, and and uh, I know we've I don't know I don't want, <laughs> I don't know how, but it's it's like I know we've dis- discussed things like this before, and even like there are watches, even uh, I know that we had data on um and i was just kind of on the outside of this i wasn't super involved in this discussion but you know i remember seeing a discussion where there were certain models of watches are very popular to cover and people say well why aren't we covering these more and then after you know following the email thread you know realized it just like well the long long email thread the the contributors (laughs) but like you know they just the the makeup of the people working at the site at the time just they're didn't really weren't passionate about that. So they can't fake it. So that's why, you know, and, and you can't lie about it. So then they just dropped it. Like, well, we're not gonna, you know, even though everyone else thinks this is really cool. And, you know, yeah, I think it's pretty cool too, but I'm not, I don't love it. So, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to make those choices. But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, just to go back to, yeah, you know, the younger generation is, is totally going to be <laughs> way more savvy with, with this stuff. I mean, you know, it's 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 really it's people that are like you know Gen X <laughs> and like elder millennials being fooled by you know Facebook bots. It's not it's not my you know niece and nephew. They'd look at that stuff and laugh. They're like how transparent is that? Who gets fooled by that? <laughs> right. So I know, I know. yeah. So I I think I think they they get it the, that game of of being an influencer and what what is real 
you know, versus what is portrayed, they know. Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blog to Watch store, and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at the Blog to Watch store. Right now, the Blog to Watch store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at the Blog to Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow in the dark face. The Blog to Watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the Blog to Watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com. Let's talk about design a little bit because I'm realizing we're talking about this watch community stuff and you're a designer. Let's talk about some visual stuff. The first thing I wanted to point out was don't you feel that in the past several years, we went from brands designing watches under the assumption that people were going to view them first in the, in the flesh to designing watches where people are going to view them digitally first. How have you seen watch design change since brands started realizing that they'd have to be sold digitally, meaning someone seeing it as a picture online versus in person first? Have you seen, I, I've seen what I think are a lot of changes. How, how have you seen that sort of uh, unfold a little bit? Yeah, I mean, the way you, yeah, I mean, there's some things that are, yeah, there's definitely changes. I mean, I think the story of how it can be presented online and the like the reveal of it and of a piece, you know, by anybody, there there needs to be a story and narrative. It needs to link to things. There, There are collaborations and things going on that I think years ago, yeah, they just would not have happened. And it's, it's just, you know, I, I think, and even, even in the, also in the design too. And, and it's funny because like in, uh, I was talking to, oh, who was I discussing this with? But I, I, I did, um, I was talking about branding with, with, uh, someone who runs a micro brand and I now I can't remember exactly who I had this conversation it's with. So little you forgot what it is. Yeah. So micro. <laughs> so like, no, I just, cause I, I, maybe I've had the same conversation more than once, but the size of the logo and the le- legibility of your logo now is, is really critical like if you take a picture of the dial of the watch it needs to show up on instagram for example like you need to be right. able to see it in that picture so i think some of the proportions i've even noticed change like i know that there was that uh seamaster years ago that was like the james bond uh you know, daniel craig screen version with the lollipop and you know there was no uh, number at 12 it was just the, the larger logo right because right right want to see that on screen I, I think there's details like that i've seen uh, but i think the way that you know, there needs to be a story and, you know, I mean, not every watch has a historical story. So in some ways, I think there's been some interesting things I see where the con- content that is put out kind of gets more interesting because now people have to make, make something up. They got to, you know, they got to work a little harder. You're not going to see it in the steel first, right? Especially in the last, you know, year and some, right? Like, you know, retail's closed here still. So it's like, you need to really sell the look of it and the materials and... And and the trendiness, right? Like people like 
you know, like you said, little things like need to make sure that you can see the logo when you take a picture with your phone. But it's also you have a lot of lookalike watches, right? It's like something that's made to simil- be similar on screen to something else. And you've had lookalike watches for a long time. But it's just interesting because I'm trying to put myself in your shoes as a designer. And I can recognize that, you know, the job has changed because these days a lot of brands have these honestly crazy ideas of what sell-through should be. You have a lot of people that like some of them legitimately sell things very fast. And a lot of people lie and say that they sell through things very fast. But there's this idea that like, oh, it didn't sell out in a week. We must have done something wrong. And traditionally, it took it took months, if not years, to sell out an entire watch collection. So there's this rapid pace, which I think is a fallacy. But there's this sort of rapid nature of commerce that a lot of brand owners expect. And so they want to move stuff quickly. And the fastest way to do that is to sell something that you think is already popular. And the way to do that is copy an established look. And so you have a lot of like, I'm, ma- I'm making a lot of mood boards based upon stuff I see online and trying to design around that, which seems, at least on the surface, quite different than how a watch would have been designed, may say, 20 years ago. Yeah, I think, I think you know, it's, it's yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, I do see, yeah, it, it's it's kind of reminds me a bit like of, of, of fashion a bit more, right? Like there's the trends and the, I, I used to see watches as a little outside of that you know, uh, maybe like, you know, fashion watches, right? Like you go to a department store and you see, you know, I don't know, I'm trying to like Michael Kors, I guess is a fashion watch, right? Like they'll make their watches out of like, you know, tortoiseshell. If tortoiseshell is cool that year, they'll, they'll do that. If gold is in they're they're gold. Um, and there's a, a certain cycle to keep up with. Whereas like I always viewed like, you know, kind of like the higher end watches as separate from that, but there is more of a crossover now with, with, uh, you know, what colors are in and stuff. And, and it's, there's still, I mean, a lot of brands are still very conservative. Like how many times I've seen people being like the new trend now is blue dials on a watch. And I'm like, they've been around forever. Someone invented blue. That's great. Yeah. Like it's not a new thing. And it's (laughs) like, but I've seen it more than once over the years. Like, Oh, right now blue is in, or like, you know, green is in, well, you know, because no, because the, the brands, again, I think it's, it's them literally going online to try to determine what's selling. Remember, they have no actual data of what's selling. All they see is what's popular and maybe like Instagram. This is not at all a function which is actually selling. So they're very limited in the quality of their data. But again, you you want to make an investment into a production run and you want to develop a watch that you you hope will sell. And the only way to do that is to say, well, what are other people selling? And there's actually no good information to determine what that is. That's what I have to remind everyone. There's no tool out there that'll tell you these watches are selling. All you can do is say, who are the most popular brands? What's being spoken about the most? And I can infer and guess and whatnot. But, you know, in in an era where people should be celebrating originality more than ever. It's like people are falling back into the safety of established practices. Like I can't do a business model unless it's been tested in the market and there's academics around it. Like this thinking is completely contradictory to to the risk taking, which is required in a creative endeavor, which is making a modern timepiece. Because as as we've sort of, you know, been saying since the beginning of this conversation, people buy watches to express themselves and people really like original expression. Not everyone, but these are expressive items. And to say, I want to have an original expression and and to figure that out, I'm going to look at how other people express themselves. It's not always a good place to start. You have to start with someone who has a vision, someone like a Matt who can sit and come up with an independent idea. And even though no one's ever seen it before, um, the watch 
when you when you eventually see it, it looks looks like something that existed all the time. And that's a sort of odd, you know, nirvana zone that a lot of watch designers try to reach. And that is my design is new, but once you saw it, it looks like it's been here all along, right? Yeah. And it's like that that it's like an old uh advertising industry saying where it's like if you got something, you know, if you got something familiar, you got to make it seem like it's brand new and it's totally new. Like you've never seen this before. If you have something that's brand new, you need to try and make it seem like it's familiar. And, you know, because people have a certain comfort level. So I think that that's been around, but I think it's, it's that, that is heightened. And I think now, you know, people, I, I do see a lot of people looking at like, you know, data and it's what you do with that, right? Like, and there's, you don't really, you can only see so far behind the curtain with some of these things. And and yeah, like infer what, you know, you're still going to be taking a guess, but I have seen it in, in some veins. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I like creativity. I like different things, right? Like I like, I like, I'm drawn to watches that are different. Um, it just in my collecting, my design work aside, I, I like something that stands out and, you know, I, I do see a lot of, you know, stuff that's kind of derivative, you know, being, being made, right? It's just, you know, small tweaks on the same idea over and again. And you know what, if you're going to do that, then I still think that's great. You know, like maybe those tweaks are going to be, feel huge to some people and that's exactly what they've been looking for. And that's great. Go ahead and do that. But, you know, I'm more interested in, and, you know, brands like this, you know, with, 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 you know, Emmanuel Dietrich, like, you know, I love his work because it's, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's so far out there like when when the ot the organic time came out you know years ago like I, there was nothing else like that at the time and not in that price range at least right like if you wanted to get a watch it looked like that you're gonna shell out some big cash so it was kind of like making this like you know hotelology look attainable at the time and you know and i'm, I'm so glad we got to do the the tc pure with Emmanuel. that was that was great yeah so so we did we did a a limited edition version of the dietrich um time companion the tc watch designed uh with a dial by matt um that there was a, a an all steel version and the black coated steel version it had a sterile dial and what that means is that there wasn't a, lo- a logo on the dial so it's just the numerals and the hands and stuff on the dial sort of a, a, a an interesting niche type of, of design preference but if you if you understand the appeal of it, it's very very cool and it, it was it was great because it was it, it definitely was original and 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 it was fun. So I'm just adding a little bit of context. And after that, we should we need to talk about the Radox. Yeah, well, yeah, that that, that 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 and that project too. Like when the Time Companion came out, I remember like I was waiting for that watch to drop. Like I was I sold pieces ahead of time because I was like I want I want one. Uh, when he before like the original original launch of that, which has the laser etched bezel, quite different, like much more going on on the dial. And, right. uh, and actually, I, I was trying to process my order and the site wasn't working. So I had to like reach out to Emmanuel and be like, the site's not working. <laughs> and like, you know, and then I actually, when my order went through, it actually went through for the wrong one. And he sent out the wrong one, but he gave because <laughs> I ordered the steel and he sent me the black one uh, originally. Uh, and he gave me number one first. But anyways, I had to send that back because I, I did want the steel. But then working with him on that and being able to take that like bracelet and that case shape and do a dial and just like, you know, he wanted the dial to look so different from what he would have done himself. And, and it, it was just like, you know, yeah, it is different. If you see the watch, like it's, it's, you know, there's no logo on the dial. It just looks like the steel one is everything is steel brushed. One, like it looks like one almost monolithic piece with a watch coming out of it. And, um, yeah, it all just looks like one unit, not, not like, not, not like one piece. Cause the bracelet has these 
those interesting hexagonal links. But it, yeah, it's, it's not something exactly like you would see. It doesn't look like, you know, as much as it's an integrated bracelet sports watch, it doesn't look like it's trying to be a, you know, Royal Oak or anything like that. You know, like it's, it's, it's its own thing. And, um, you know, sometimes I have had people say as a designer, like some of the other stuff I've done, and they said like, well, you know, like, wouldn't have been easier if you played it a little more safe or, you know, could you, could you have, you know, you think it would have, you know, gotten you, you know, the, the next thing quicker if, if, if you played it safe or, or reined it in a bit. And I was like, yeah, but like, it's not what I want to do. <laughs> it's like, what's the point of doing that? I don't want to just do what other people have done and the designers that I appreciate, you know, I like people who do wild stuff, you know, like right now I'm wearing my, my, um, my, uh, Jajaro design, uh, uh, um single speedmaster it's the digital one um from like 82 83 is when it was produced is that one of the, was that part of the asymmetric phase uh it's part of that so it came out with the with around the same time if not the same time as the ripley and the bishop and then there's that other like speedmaster one where it's got the it's got the like the big cage on it uh that comes yeah up. that's so, the one i was thinking oh that's all yeah but this is the digital one this is the rarest one of them all and it's got like a weird seatbelt strap that, that that comes out of it and it's got like a ratchet system it actually and it can fall off your wrist quite easily <laughs> it's like <laughs> there are more ways for this watch the epitome to fall of a off. concept watch yeah the more there's more ways for this watch to fall off your wrist than there are for it to stay on your wrist but it's crazy and it's like you know jar was really trying something with this and it's got this digital face when you turn the bezel like it's kind of like you know like it's set to time right now and if i turn the bezel i can set the alarm and then it clicks into place, then there's the chronograph, and then there's a timer, a countdown, then there's a, you know, I can time two kilometers or set up my own things. It's it's a really weird interface, and it's a strange-looking watch. It's so out there, and it took me ages to find one. Um, I, know, I know, I know, I know that thing where you're basically, it's like that, the old, what I call the, the old Seiko hunt on eBay. It's every couple of weeks, you got to be like, I got to go search for some old Seikos right now. Because there's some great stuff out there, but they're unbelievably rare to find in good condition or, or, or affordable. Yeah, I had to find, I found this one on Carousel. And then I found the guy Ooh. on Instagram and messaged him and said, are you this guy with this on Carousel? And yeah, and so you, you know, so I don't even know what product. Carousel is. What is that? It's 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 uh, it's another. It's like an eBay. It's like an eBay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and and like you know, like there's like Zen Market and stuff like that. And so um, I don't know if you've ever gone to those places, but yeah, I, I looked long and hard for one in a good condition for yeah reasonable price. I found this one, and it's it's I'm an, I'm drawn to it because it's different. It totally has the Jajaro look. It's the craziest one for sure. But you know. I don't know. It's it's I like because they're trying things. It's my favorite era of design too for watches. It's like you know during the you know leading into the quartz crisis in the seventies and the eighties. Like there's some wild watch designs there. And so let me give a little bit of context as to what was going on in sort of the late nineteen seventies, early eighties that created the situation where a lot of these these cool watches that Matt's talking about were designed. First, you had the end of the seventies with all of its sci-fi movies. We're talking about Star Wars and everything related to that, where there was this a lot of popular excitement in futurism. It was very it was considered optimistic, even though there's a lot of dystopian futurism. There was this idea that a lot of interesting things were going to happen in the future because a lot of the technology that would enable it is just sort of starting to come out. And the digital watch as an instrument for the mainstream was was starting to become affordable and was was really entering. And so you had this era where 
designers and engineers were imagining all this new potential functionality that a watch could have because you could do things with a digital interface that you can do with an analog interface. And we were also imagining new types of places and activities that people would be wearing watches in space, on ships, on other worlds and stuff like that. And so you had this amazing combination of new technology optimism and, and a lot of design influence coming in to make these exciting, you know, futuristic sci-fi sports watches. And that's where the Seiko Giorgiaro designs came from. Would you agree? Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, like there was a, a definite optimism then. It's like, you know, especially, you know, I always like to say, like, I feel ripped off because I remember going into the library as a kid <laughs> in school and like looking up those like beautifully illustrated books. I'm like, here's where the future is going to be. And, you know, they, they you know, <laughs> yeah. everyone's got like a flying robot car and like, yeah, I'll go to these the smiling, flying family. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, exactly. And like, we're going to jobs. Even baby can fly. Yeah. People have like <laughs> exoskeletons on construction sites. I'm like, damn, that's so cool. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and it never came. And I'm, I feel a little disappointed about that. Yeah. You know? Where's that? Where's that robot, which is supposed to make that coffee for me? Yeah. I still have to do that myself. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, and, and like, you know, people go, oh, well, we got, you know, the, we have the, the Tesla car. And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't look like a blade <laughs> flying through the air. It's not like, I don't know. Aesthetically, I just, I feel disappointed. I feel like I was promised You and I were promised a lot more than the world delivered. That is sort of the, the failing of our generation. We were prepared for a certain type of world, and that world didn't happen. And all of a sudden, people are excited about, you know, vintage style, you know, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And when we were growing up, no one cared about that era. That was like ancient history. Nobody ever wanted to go back. And now it's like, remember before there were batteries? And we're like, no, we don't want to. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, or at least could we have had a time machine where that's how we would appreciate vintage things. We could just go back <laughs> and acquire them from the era. Like, I just, yeah, you know, it's like we, we were promised rocket boots. And what we got is, you know, a tiny tablet that I can now I can get angry at politics from the toilet. You know, like, that's what yeah. we got. like <laughs> it's just it's just not progress, Matt, progress. Uh, it, yeah. In the, in the in the less fun direction. So, yeah. But yeah, I just I love that era. It's just it's so fun. There's so much experimentation and yeah, like optimism, right? Like people thought all these crazy things were going to happen and they want to be prepared for them. They want to look. Like, you know, even in music at the time, like, you know, people started to play with synths and do all this stuff. And, you know, uh, and the people wanted I'm to... I'm thinking about evangelists in my mind right now. People, people wanted to sell, you know, the, the, the idea that, like, the future is coming. And they wanted they wanted something to, to feel like that, you know? Like, I, like I remember watching a documentary on um, electronic music in Germany. And they're talking about, you know, like, on the time, you know, the Berlin Wall's going to come down and all that. And then all this great electronic music comes out and some of it's kind of dystopian but like a lot of it's like really you know optimistic and it's just like people wanted something that sounded new it sounded like the future it sounded like the way out of that dark era that they were in right so they really gravitated towards it and of course you know it's kind of known known for it now that scene in that era you know craft work yeah <laughs> all, of all that. right so let, let, let's end because we're, we're we're sort of over time now but i wanted to talk a little bit about the, the accumulation of what we're talking about, which is a different kind of futurism, and that is the, the Laco Radox that, that we worked on together that was produced as a limited edition by, by German Laco. And I, I just sort of give a little bit of, of context here as to what, <laughs> what was going on here. Um, <clears throat> this was before one of the new Fallout video games was supposed to be released. Now, Fallout is a video game series that started in, I think, 1998, 
it was a sort of dystopian, um, you know, future uh, type of world where there was sort of this irradiated wasteland. And um, it was a series of games and it became very popular and there's a bunch of them and, and, and now it's a sort of a big money thing. And I had this idea where we would come up with a watch that we imagined existed as part of this world. And this is a video game. It's not a real world, but it's, it's, it's a pretty rich world when it comes to lore and aesthetic and things like that. And the main character in this game actually wore a big computer on his wrist that was called the Pip-Boy. And I, I thought to myself, let's imagine a watch that would be sort of the backup watch or maybe worn on the other wrist or something like that. And in this world, it, it takes place in the future, but all the technology was created like right before the, uh, you know, the, the, the nuclear holocaust or whatever happened there. So it sort of had a little bit of a retro vibe, but it needed to look like it was in still working order, potentially hundreds of years after it was initially made. And the resulting product was the Radox. It has so many little bits and details and things like that, that it has taken a lot of people quite some time to wrap their mind around it. I guess my first question is, were, were we overly ambitious or do we do the exact right thing in, in coming up with a cohesive uh, and, and sort of fun feeling product? I mean, I, 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 was, I loved that project so much. That, Me too. Was, that was so great. And the watch is fantastic, by the way. I just want to end up saying... I am so happy with the way the watch came out that I am sitting right here next to me. I wear it all the time. Um, it just came out so, so well, but sorry, please continue. No, it was just, a, yeah, it was a great process. It was a hard deadline to hit. Uh, Cause I remember we, we, yeah, oh my God, there was, it was, it was, it was we did a lot of work in and in like with the pitch. And then after the pitch, I remember what they said was we'll make the watch head and get it ready for uh, to be revealed. Uh, whatever you know, it was like a, a month, just over a month away uh, from from you know Laco Green to make saying, yeah, we want to make this, and and but I had to get the strap and the box and all the other like little bits and bobs together, and also like ready for production by that time. And it was it was just hundreds of that. It was nuts. It was insane, but it was so worth so it. many little details and accessories. Like it's it's not just the watch; it's the box and there's all this other stuff. Yeah, it, it was. I, I feel like we did the right thing. You know, like and, and the whole time we, we were kind of like, this is like a niche within a niche. It's a crazy <laughs> idea, you know, but it, but it like, you know, the, the thing that sold, I, I think everyone on that was that, you know, we wanted to make something that when someone finds their way to that watch, they're going to go, this is like, like it feels like it's made for them because it's such a niche within a niche. So the people who end up with that watch are going to like, just feel so connected to it. And I feel like, you know, I get messages from people when they, when they acquire one, right. And they're like, like I got a red ox and then, you know, and I'll follow them. And, and then I see the, the pictures they post and, um, um, you know, uh, one person who has the, the Radox is uh, this woman who goes by uh, Wildlander. And she has the, takes crazy pictures of this. Watch. Oh, I've seen her account oh my on Instagram. God. Yeah, she does nice stuff. Yeah, I, and, and like, and like, she goes on these hikes and then she's got like, you know, she's got, you know, uh, like dosimeters and all these things in there. And like, you're just like, yeah, man, like, but they're having fun taking this, right? It's like, they yeah. wanted to have that fun experience. And that's exactly what we wanted to create with that piece. So I feel like, Feel like we got to do that. So, so explain it because a lot of people listening don't know what the watch looks like, may not know what Fallout is, doesn't know about the accessories. Try to describe what the watch looks like, what the, what what the packaging looks like, and what's in it. I want to hear it from you. Okay, so yeah, the idea was that 
and I worked with a prop maker to help bring the story together with the final product. But the idea was I, I had this you know, feeling that it's got to look like an in-game item that you would find, but in the real world, right? So first it's got to come in a box. It comes in this tin. Uh, like it looks like a very... Uh, you know, it's like a very basic, it's something you would, you would, you know, maybe think military rations or something would come in, right? Like a kit, exactly. like a medikit or something would come in. And I worked with this company, uh, Chicago Tins, to get the tin. And, um, and then it's, you know, it's got printing on it that's very, you know, it looks very clinical <laughs> and very clean. Once upon a time, this was very clean. And uh, then we had it, you know, weathered by, by a, like a prop maker who did this amazing, uh, Anders Aller was his name. Um, he, beat them up so it's this rusted box and it's also a little difficult to open because it's actually rusty <laughs> at least mine is but it's part of the fun i promise you once you get into the box it's like the person who owned this watch over the years you know has kept it in this 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 like tin uh that it was originally issued to like there's a stamp on it that says you know issued to vault number 43 overseer the overseer would have been to people who don't know it's a person who took care of these underground bunkers which they call vaults in the game uh because they knew they basically knew they were going to start a war and, and they're going to have to live underground during fallout that's that's the basic premise of that world so when you open the box you have these artifacts that come with the watch too and although you don't really wear those we thought it was important to like help tell the story and make this thing look like it came from this fictional world, right? So you have some Polaroids. And I actually, at the time, I crafted a story behind what I thought the journey this watch would have been on, that someone would have left the vault and even the vault number 43, what would have happened during the time in that vault. So there's some Polaroids. You get a postcard that has this from the New California Republic on one side, and then it has a protection notice on the other side that you can stick it in your settlement door and you would know that you were protected <laughs> by this, this, this group of banditos basically. But yeah, it's, it's just, we wanted to have all these pieces come together and the watch itself, which is the important part has, you know, the face, it, it looks like a flieger, but it looks like a flieger that is evolved. Right. And for the design part, I try to take Laco's design language and look at like, okay, well they ended up, you know, now you, like a modern tool watch from, from LACO would be like the squad watch, right? Like it's very beefy. It's got a big click-click bezel. It's automatic. Um, you know, it's got very simple hands on it. So I decided to like take the Flieger look and then like evolve from there. It's still down the same pathway, but in this alternate reality where everything kind of gets stunted, right? Because it's like the idea is the cold word just goes on forever and culture gets kind of stunted in the Fallout universe. So, you know, the idea that, Lacco actually makes that Erbstuck uh, Flieger watch that is, you know, also beat up in relation to this, but they make it just for, you know, for fun purposes because it's 42 millimeters instead of 52 and it's practical and you can wear it and it's automatic. But in this world, they would have just evolved it down to this size to make it a little more wearable and it's automatic so that it keeps going for different reasons, right? And, and so you just have, yeah, it's kind of got almost like a, sort of like a B a B type dial on it, but it's much more modern. There's like a little fallout kind of radiation symbol. It's our own variation of it down near the six. And it's got a, like a perforated bund um, and like a canvas and leather strap and a big number 43 stamped on it. And, you know, actually when we were doing it and I was getting the strap maker to prototype it, he didn't have the correct typeface. So he made his own stencil for number 43. And then he said, Oh, do you want me to correct it to the, to the correct typeface to match the package to look like it. And I said, you know what? But in this world, 
you know, in the game, even like there's all this bureaucracy and and all this red tape that kind of humorously bungles things up all the time. So I said, you know, keep it as the different typeface because <laughs> I feel like there would always be some miscommunication and they would just arrive like this, right? It doesn't matter. It's a military thing. So yeah, we put a lot of thought into it. It's, it's just this really yeah. nice, it's got a lot of <laughs> texture to it. It's got, a, you know, I wear mine a lot too. I got to say, I wear mine a lot, a lot, a lot. And it's got a really nice texture to it. And the more you wear it, the you know, even if you ding it up, a bit like it's already dinged up it comes pre-dinged so it doesn't really matter it's just very fun and it's it just yeah you know not everyone asks about it but the people who ask about it like are, are you know it's it, it's the right people <laughs> if there is such we, a thing see, here, here's what we did with this watch and this is the way i'm sort of going to explain it we created like a special thing to discover once you climb a very tall mountain right like I like to hike and there's a sort of weird thing when you hike, you're like, I want to climb that hill. You don't really know what you're going to see when you get to the top of the hill. It's usually just a view, but there's this like human desire to want to climb hills to get to the sort of next level. And as Matt has been describing, the Laco Radox has so many like layers of difficulty and understanding so many nuances and, and things like you could just like wear the watch and think it's super cool. But all these little details are like climbing a hill. And, and for those people that, that that do climb that hill and get to the top, there's this whole world within the watch to appreciate. I mean, we basically created something that's meant to exist within a super detailed video game world without actually using in the assets of that video game world. And that was hard, plus getting multiple people to make it. I mean, for example, you're talking about the aged box. And I want to mention that three different artisans, if you will, had to age this watch in different parts. The watch case was aged by Laco's people in Germany. The strap was aged by someone else. And the box was aged by a third person. And together, they all had to look like they aged the same. Like, that's that's not easy to do. And to sort of understand how all that came together becomes part of the mountain that is to climb this product. And, and we like to do that because we're, we're, I mean, we almost limited ourselves by nature by making something so niche, but we knew that people will discover it and they are. And we sort of created that, you know, that, that's, that special, I don't even know the right word, just that, that special thing that's more than just like, oh, and Ariel and Matt made a new dial color for something because we could always do that, but that's not what we wanted to do. And, and what we created with the, the, the Radox brought us a level of pride and joy that I've never felt with any other product. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, I feel like it was neat. Like, you know, the, the whole herb stuck thing with what they like, I was already doing prior to this, where they're aging pilot watches to look like the vintage deal that they used to manufacture. Right. But it, it's like, you know, when we were talking about it with them, even we're saying, well, it's like, you know, you're, you're aging, you're creating an aged version of something that already exists where this, like this technically couldn't exist. It's from a world that doesn't exist. So using the, like, you know, the, the fake aging, the forced aging on it kind of, is, it's, it's just, I don't know, there's, there's some beautiful <laughs> symmetry to that, that it's a, an item from a world that can't exist, but it looks like it's actually lived a life before you get to own it. And it feels like it, it really, everything. And even like, yeah, the manuals too, like we had to do some of the stuff with printing, but like I aged the manuals and the postcards and some of the other things by like sanding the edges and staining them like in my office here. And it took like, it was insane. Like <laughs> it was crazy. Like for the postcards, I think I had to like, I made a, a rig where I could like clamp a bunch together and use like a power sander just to get the edges, you know, just nice and beat up. And then I stained them and they dried and they kind of got a little 
harder. And when you just pick up the card and you feel that edge, it's a small thing, but it makes a difference. Like we really just wanted to keep you immersed in the, the, the fun and, and like a video game. Yeah. Like there's a lot of things. Like if you look at the back of the watch, there's you know little like Easter eggs back there and you can figure out stuff. If you really examine the whole package as a whole, the watch and all the artifacts included, there is a story there, but it's like a video game. Like you can, you know, just blaze through it and have fun. So you can just wear the watch and have fun. Or you can like get in and try to figure out the lore and the details. And, and that's there for you too, If should you choose to do it. And that's what was fun about that is it's so much all this depth, but like it doesn't rely on you having to, you know, you don't have to appreciate everything, but it is there for you if you want to. I'm going to have to wear this watch today. I mean, I was actually sitting here looking at it. It's actually sitting next to another Laco watch, which is another one of their, their you know, their Flieger watches. And it's funny because you see like some of the fonts on the dial the same, even though it's a totally different watch, we had a new dial and new hands and all that stuff done. It's just so great to see that it sort of lives in that universe. And again, I just wanted to congratulate you and us again on, on such a cool project, even though it's a figures now. We'll probably be doing more stuff like this. You know, a lot of it is just the appetite of the brands because to tell this story uh, requires a significant level of, of time. And also brands need to be patient because you and I, as creatives, we don't want to come up with something which is already popular. It's not like, hey, let's make our version of the Rolex Daytona because those seem to be, you know, moving. We don't. That's not what interests us. So it's like, by definition, what interests us is doing something unique. And as a function of that, you have to, you know, educate people as to what any of that even means. So it, it, again, it's 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 something that is um, more of a nuanced discussion. But the design part of watches is an incredibly robust and weird field. And I think consumers very, very often take for granted what is required in making a watch. And it's so easy to like boil it down to the sum of the parts. So that, the parts in that watch don't cost all that to put together. Maybe that's so. But if you look in the, in, in the car industry, it's the same thing. You know, a, a, a high-end Mercedes and like a, a, a mid-grade Chevrolet, the difference in cost between the parts that puts them together is not that much. It's the engineering, it's the storytelling, it's the it's all kinds of other things is where a lot of the value is. And the, the lay consumer oftentimes doesn't have the background to, to really appreciate that. Um, and so it's just sort of an interesting exercise to make stuff for the nerds like us that can appreciate it. And that's that's sort of a wonderful thing. We'll do that more often, won't we? Yeah, I I, I hope I hope we get to do that more and it's it's you know it's yeah it was a super fun project and even like even beyond watches and other things i've done professionally it was just you know as a designer it it was it was uh it was it was really it was really really rewarding and and um definitely lacko is the one where you know i look back and i I think i can't believe they let us make this you know they they seem like reasonable people but (laughs) we we convinced them to make this kind of wild thing and um you know like it's yes it's a watch sure but it's it's also you know it's it's a bit of a a piece of art really like you know i I know that i we mentioned you know when we were first discussing it i was you know influenced by uh, iris hausler this artist who does these you know big huge installations and they're kind of these you know you know, messy scenes and you got to figure out what happened. And, and, you know, it really showed me when I went to one of her exhibits, like objects can tell a story. And, uh, you know, although the story from this is, is fictional, you know, it's fun. Right. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm just very glad that we got to make this. And I hope we get the opportunity to do something fun like that again. I think that, you know, the, the, the lesson there was that the end product 
of the Laka Rodox. And and to be honest, the other products that we've we've worked on together is that it makes people like you and I happy. And if you and I want to wear it and we like it and we feel that it's a successful product, eventually other people will too, because you know, we're we're rather experienced, nuanced, you know, watch nerds. And that means that we're able to sort of spot quality <clears throat> from a while, uh, you know, from, from, from afar. And it isn't the fact that the Rodox or anything else that we put together is great because we did it. Um, it's great because it satisfies a lot of things that we want. It's watches that we made for ourselves. And because we are, I guess, respected opinions on the matter, other people, you know, oftentimes tend to agree. We also like the fact that it's not for everyone. So we'll end there. Um, and we'll return to the discussion of watch design and more stuff. Everyone, uh, this has been Matt Smith Johnson. Um, you can see more of his stuff um, on Instagram, on Teenage Grandpa. He's also the Block to Watch um, art, art director. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. And it's teenage.grandpa, just grandpa. to be sure. And uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Arnold, for having me. I was great uh, chatting about uh, watches and catching up. All right. Talk to you later. All right, man. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at ablogtowatch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com. Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe?